0: Shalom alechem, Shabbat Shalom. Happy Friday, everybody. We're here. Let's enjoy the end of the week. Now, let's cut to the chase. I'm excited because this is a whole different format today. Instead of you hearing me babble on and on about philosophies and my morals, values, and principles, you're going to hear me actually just narrate. We're going to narrate today because I really, really want you to understand this book um, the uh something about human nature by Robert Green, whatever it doesn't matter the title you don't care about the title, you care about the content and I really this I listened to a book summary and I thought, you know what I'll read this entire book summary to you. Enjoy all right, gang let's do this. This is completely uncut., oh, let me get a yawn out of the way are you? Uh usually i cut these podcasts up but you're getting raw zev today all right um let's do this are you intrigued by the mysteries of human behavior are you looking for answers to why we do the things we do if so you won't want to miss out on robert Greene's the laws of human nature this book offers readers an insightful and groundbreaking new approach to understanding ourselves and others The author of the book, Robert Greene, is a renowned American author, entrepreneur, and public speaker who is best known for his books on strategy, power, and mastery. Blah, 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 blah. He's written a bunch, okay? You get it. And by the way, I'm going to comment on this stuff as well as I go, as I go. In part one, they discuss the unrealistic self-images human beings have about themselves. In part two of this book, you'll explore how humans hide their true selves. Later on, we'll talk about how people have... Uh, behave in different groups part four we discuss how people view the world irrationally and part five we'll explore the wrong things people want to have and how to establish meaningful life purposes chapter two after the whole intro it's called people have unrealistic self-images self-image commonly known as self-perception is our internal evaluation of ourselves Our assessment is usually more flattering than reality, and most of us consider ourselves self-sufficient, intelligent, and good. In other words, human beings are all a little narcissistic. That is so true, because yes, we all think we're doing the right thing for the most part, and that's an egotistical thing, and narcissism is, I don't know the exact definition, it's when you self-soothe by focusing on yourself, and yeah. Green points out that narcissism is when you focus too much on yourself and take attention away from others, boom. People who are deeply narcissistic may become angry if they're not given enough attention and will act out. Boom, that's my father. (laughs) I I promise I don't have daddy issues. Generally, there are three different types of narcissists. The complete control narcissist, the theatrical narcissist, and the healthy narcissist. The complete control narcissist is charming and gains influence influence over others. The theatrical narcissist is a master of disguise and is always the center of attention. Then the healthy narcissist is confident and knows how to read people's moods. In other words, healthy narcissists know how to make people feel better and how to handle negative moods. They can also understand how people think and what motivates them. All this takes special skills and attention. In fact, most people have some level of narcissism, but there are some healthy ways to deal with it. These include creating a self-image you love and being honest about yourself. Not just yourself, your self-absorbed nature. (laughs) Developing empathy, understanding people's thoughts and feelings, and getting feedback on your progress can help you become a healthy narcissist. That is very interesting. Um, Mahatma Gandhi is sometimes referred to as a healthy narcissist. He was a leader in the Indian independence movement against British rule and was widely admired for his non-violent resistance approach. He believed that his cause was just, and he was able to inspire and motivate many people to join him in the struggle for India's freedom. He was willing to take personal risks and achieve blah, 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 blah. blah. He had empathy, political brilliance, blah, blah, blah. He put the needs of people above his, blah. He was a good leader. Okay, whatever. Green, after that, he talks about a specific form of narcissism grandiosity. Grandiosity is when someone has an inflated opinion of themselves and their abilities. This can be dangerous because it can lead to irrational decision making. And this is where you get tyrants, by the way. That's my own commentary. If you want to succeed at something, it's important to have a realistic attitude and to understand that you have limits. You need to be aware of the signs of grandiosity, which is a disease that makes people believe they're better than they actually are. People with grandiosity often display nonverbal cues like big gestures and talking loudly. If you think someone might have grandiosity, you can try to bait them into overreacting. Wow, see, this, this sounds like Robert Greene because his 48 Laws of Power is a weird book that makes you feel like you're a manipulative narcissist. And he's talking, he crushes it here, right here, saying, like, you can bait a grandiose person by, you know, and, and try to get them to overreact. Um, it's interesting how he mentions they display nonverbal cues like big gestures and talking loudly. It's they're very interesting. It's important to manage your own grandiose tendencies by understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Grandiose leaders are a typical example we all face every day. They are people who try to act like they're better than everyone else and always act like they know what they're doing. They often make promises that they can't keep and make people believe in them even when they shouldn't. People should be skeptical of grandiose leaders and not believe everything they say. Who in my life is a grandiose leader that just makes loud noise and makes people believe things they shouldn't? It's a toughie. I can't really think of anyone. I got a healthy environment, I guess. Mm, there were some strangers I've seen strangers do this um, when I was in Europe recently on the train but anyways moving on however do you know grandiosity is not all that bad practical grandiosity is when this feeling is based on reality not just fantasy to achieve practical grandiosity you need to be honest with yourself about your needs focus your, about your needs, focus your energy on that one thing get feedback from others and find challenges that are just above your skill level now, do you have a relatively objective image of yourself? Do you? There's a saying, actually, and it's, we are not <clears throat> who we think we are. We are who we think other people think we are. And think about that. If you go deep with that, it makes complete sense. And that's actually the only logical explanation for who we are, is we're taught who we are. We don't actually know who we are. Other people teach us who we are. We're a man. My name is Zev. I like sports. I live in Canada. I'm a human being. I have toes. I have arms. Like these, We're taught all of this. So other people tell us who we are, and we think we are what other people think we are. So do you have a relatively objective image of yourself, is what Robert Greene asks? And it's hard to say yes to that. It's all subjective, I would say, unless we all agree to the same thing and say that the objective thing is an agreement on the subjectivity of a nature. So, yeah, yeah, I guess... I guess I kind of have an objective image of myself. You go by just these agreed definitions and forms and labels and beliefs. Yeah, sure. Anyways, that's how you end chapter two. Chapter three, people hide their true selves. Not only do human beings tend to have a false self-perception, but also we're likely to hide our, our true selves and keep our feelings and thoughts to ourselves. This is because people adapt their behavior to people they are with and the context of the situation in order to fit in, maintain relationships, and achieve goals, a.k.a. tribalism. And that's, that's why we have a false self-perception, by the way. That's what he's saying. We hide our true selves because of tribalism. It's a survival tactic, actually. Humans are good at acting. We learn at an early age how to get what we want from our parents by putting on certain looks that will elicit sympathy or affection. We also learn how to fit into the group by wearing the same clothes and speaking the same language. For example, a student might act differently in front of their teacher than they do around their friends. They might put on a show of politeness and respect around the teacher to get a better grade. But around their friends, they might act more casual and joke around. This is an example of role-playing. Yeah, blah, 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 tribalism. Everyone's role-playing. In order to find out others' true selves, Green offers some observational skills. Observational skills are things that that you practice to help you see things you wouldn't normally see. This includes uh, things like facial expressions and body language. You want to be able to see these things so that you can better understand what the person really is feeling, even if they're not saying it out loud practice you can start by observing one or two facial expressions during a casual conversation then move on to observing the person's voice and then their body language as you get better at this you'll you'll be able to notice more and more things about the person and you'll be able to understand them better sorry if i sound a little sick because i am a little sick well let's keep cooking this is good. okay this is this is getting interesting because are gonna tell us how to observe people's body languages and see how they are What about the decoding keys, which is another way to figure out what someone's really feeling. It helps you look past distractions and become aware of signs that leak out. Like if someone's mad, happy, or trying to trick you. If someone's mad, you'll see signs like squinting eyes, tight lips, a stiff neck, and overall tenseness. If someone's happy, you'll see relaxed facial muscles, widened eyes, and excited voice. If someone's trying to trick you, they might be extra nice and chatty, but their body language will still show signs of tension. Ah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's, that's true. Then you may ask, how do I leave a good impression on others? And green brings up the impression management that's the art of making a good impression on others. To do this, you must master nonverbal cues like body language and facial expressions and be able to put yourself in the right emotional mood. You should also be able to adapt to the different audiences and create a good first impression. Make sure to appear generous and honest and don't be afraid to show weakness. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes what people want to hide are negative feelings. The Swiss psychologist Carl Jung said that everyone has a dark side to their character that they want to repress. And that, that's a fact. And then we jump here to, to chapter four. Um, and by all means, like, take this as you would. We could talk about this forever, I'm sure. I'm just going to keep zipping through this. It's really interesting. Because, uh, yeah, the shadow, Carl Jung talks about the shadow all the time. And we don't get to express ourselves truly until someone shines a light on this thing that we didn't even know was there it's aka a shadow only exists when light shines on something and yeah carl Jung's the goat and it's true everyone's got something they're suppressing and that could be in their shadow chapter four people behave differently in groups human beings are social animals and your social personality is the different uh, is the different person you become when you operate in a group of people in the group setting you unconsciously imitate what others are saying and doing Okay, that, that's a fact. This is unconscious, and you'll start to imitate. You think differently, more concerned with fitting in and believing what others believe. You feel different emotions, if infected by the group mood. You are more prone to taking risks, to acting irrational because everyone else is. This social personality can come to dominate who you are. Hey, folks, you are your environment. So be very picky as to who you spend your time around because you will unconsciously imitate people. It's a fact. It is a fact. I've caught myself doing this all the time. And so uh, it's really nice when you are around someone that aligns with who you want to be. And you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was being someone I wasn't with that other group. Uh, yeah. People can feel powerful energy when they are in, together in a group. Think about football stadiums, folks. That's huge. Like I, When I went to Michigan, I felt the energy. Like I've never felt that before. 115 people together. This energy is called the social force. It can be felt when you're at a concert, rally, or game. We also feel it when we talk to a group. We may feel excited, energetic, and connected to others. This energy can be used for good purposes, or it can pull us into a negative direction. We can learn to recognize and understand the social force and how it affects us. I guess so he talks all about the social force in this book. How do we achieve success in a group? In order to be successful, a group of people, they need to work together as a team and do their best to get things done. They should have a clear purpose and plan. Blah, 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 Have the right people on a team. Blah, blah, was just team stuff, whatever. Um, everyone belongs to a certain generation. Generation is a specific kind of group, and we are consistently influenced by our own generation. Generations are like different personalities. Each generation does things differently than the other before it. People usually think that this is just them who decide what they think and believe, but it's actually the generation they're in that has a big influence on their beliefs and what they decide. <laughs> Generational values can close you off from other points of view and constrain your mind. So don't do not do that. Knowing this can help us understand why our parents thought the way they did and how our generation is different. It can also help us, uh, help us guess what's going to happen in the future. That's a fact. The 80-year cycle, go Google it. That is a fact right there. This knowledge of generation is called generational awareness. Okay, that's pretty cool, yeah. To explain this, Robert Greene cites the example of Roman Emperor um, Hadrian. I'll say Hadrian for now. Hadrian was a proud and confident leader, but he also had a habit of being too focused on the present, without recognizing how his decisions could affect future generations. He famously spent immense amount of money on lavish buildings and monuments, which were intended to leave a lasting legacy, but made Rome deeply unprofitable in the long run. Hadrian also refused to allow his his generals to raid tribal territories in order to expand the empire. While his decisions no doubt earned him the admiration of those he refused to conquer, it also hampered Rome's territorial growth. So that's a lesson folks on, you know, think in the future and and, uh, look at other generations and what they did, because he did not learn from that. Chapter 5, people view the world irrationally. We humans like to imagine that we have an objective knowledge of the world, but really each of us sees the world through a particular lens that colors and shapes our perceptions. Right, This lens is made up of our emotions and attitudes, which can make us see the world subjectively and irrationally. Our emotions affect our thinking. This is a fact, folks. Actually, I'll tell you real quick. In the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Dr. Helmstetter, a psychologist. He says, our outcomes come from our information. But in between there, there's a whole ripple effect, such as our information affects our beliefs. Our beliefs will affect our attitude. Our attitude affects our feelings. Our feelings change our behaviors and our behaviors affect our outcomes. That right there is why info dictates outcomes. And when people are looking at their outcomes, they say, why do I keep self-sabotaging? Why do I keep eating unhealthy? Why do I, they just need to look at the information they're taking in, AKA in the environment. Look at your info and then vice versa. If someone doesn't understand, you know, why, or what information they're taking in, you just look at your outcomes and you reverse engineer. Folks, we, so an example, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to say an example of this. Let's just take a random example. I take information in that smoking is bad for me. I believe smoking is bad. My attitude is to not ruin my body. That's my attitude is to live a healthy life. My feeling is that of fear to smoking. So now I behave in a manner where I do not touch cigarettes. That's my behavior is to not pick up a cigarette. My outcome is I do not smoke. That is why right there. So it goes vice versa is uh, if someone does smoke, that's their outcome. You think, why'd they behave that way? They picked up the cigarette. That was behavior. They felt cool when they picked it up. That's the feeling their attitude was, I need to fit in. I need to be accepted. That's an attitude, um, of, of, you know, validation. Okay. And you could even say that's a feeling. The attitude is, the attitude is, uh, tribalism maybe. And then you look at the belief. The belief is I must fit in to survive or to, to be a good person. And then, yeah, the information they took in is, um, uh, you know find a group or at some point they were taught you know find a group of smokers and you'll be cool and have friends see what i mean you can take it and use it with anything anyways let's get back to this so yeah our emotions affect our thinking our emotions can be strong and hard to control they're part of our nature having developed over millions of years right we can't always control our emotions but we can become aware of our emotions and work to counteract that effect rational people are aware of their own irrational tendencies and try to think before they act Rational people are not aware of their emotions and often make mistakes. I see this all the time. I call these people fragile people. It, it drives me crazy, but I can only live my life with sympathy towards them because they're not me. And I also try not to be too condescending towards folks like that because I would do the same thing if I had the same DNA and history. Anyways, we can start to be more rational by recognizing our emotions, understanding how they affect our thinking, working on strategies to strengthen our thinking, blah, blah, blah. If we recognize our bias, that's the first step to being rational okay recognize your bias we want to believe things that make us feel good and we avoid things that make us feel bad we can find evidence to support beliefs um be be very passionate about them and blame others when things don't go our way yeah that's true we'll find evidence to support belief and then get passionate and blame others when people say it's not the case because of our bias and there's other information out there We need to be aware of these biases and try to be more rational and ethical yeah there you go simple the second steps to be aware uh is yeah to be aware of inflaming factors what what does that mean yeah exactly that means being aware of things that can make you feel angry or excited like someone getting under your skin or certain circumstances that's true being aware of that knowing what triggers that wow that's important these can cause you to do something you'll regret later sometimes an emotion comes from something that happened to you when you were a kid also be aware of how people act when they're stressed Stay away from groups of people if they're feeling excited or angry. Yeah, because they will affect you. Third step is to bring out the rationale. We all have a rational self that's inside us, but sometimes it can be hard to bring it out. To help us, we need to try to know ourselves, look at our emotions, think before we act, accept people, find the balance between thinking and feeling, blah, blah, blah. This, yeah. Folks, so far I'm getting the vibe like there's some really common sense shit in there, but there's also some stuff that's pretty cool. It's also important to love the rational side of ourselves since it can help us be calmer and clearer. Another animal, I like, okay, I like so far in this book summary, I do like when he talks about analyzing yourself, analyzing why you do what you do, just the analysis, right? The bias and reflection. But when he starts telling you how to, to like, I don't know, not be upset or whatever, it's very common sense of, you know, when he's saying like, be a good teammate and just like think before you act accept people (laughs) okay obviously to avoid this try to spend time with people who think about the future and have long-term goals oh sorry i just skipped the whole paragraph so another animal part of human nature is to be to only be interested in what's happening now and not worry about the future this can make people fall for schemes that seem to be too good to be true or get overwhelmed by current events so try to spend time with long-term thinkers to avoid that but there's no peace. Also, when you start schwitzing over the future and past, uh, he's not—he's not a philosophical guy. Clearly, one historical example of short-sightedness can be found in the reign of King John of England. Um, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much uh, same thing. A leader that didn't think long-term got hurt. Chapter 6, People Want the Wrong Things. As we discussed before, human beings tend to view the world irrationally, and one of the results is that human beings are likely to want to want the wrong things. We're driven by desires and never content with our current situation. We're marked by the continual desire to possess what we don't have, blah, blah, blah. We all know about this. Lifestyle creep. Don't be that guy. Don't keep up with the Jones. I get it. Humans are naturally discontent and often desire what they don't have. This is a survival tactic. Uh, anyways, he says, why is that? Yeah, true. Let's see if I'm right. This is due to three qualities of the human brain induction, an evolutionary predisposition to a continual negative bias, and the fact that what is real and imagined are similarly experienced in the brain. That last part is actually facts. Our brain doesn't even know the difference between fake and real. We will perspire and sweat based off imagination. In our dreams we sweat and perspire. And so this is why people get nervous because they're imagining something that doesn't exist yet and they sweat before they do a speech. (coughs) that's interesting induction an evolutionary predisposition to a continual negative bias oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so evolutionary we always were predisposed to thinking negatively um, and resorting to that negative thought all the time anyways knowing how to use this human nature is an art of persuasion and although people may believe that honesty is the only way to be desired the opposite is actually true by understanding the art of desirability one can take advantage of people's repressed fantasies sheesh that's manipulative wow we always want to be I, I'm, I'm never going to do that i'd rather just be real we always want what we don't have have you ever felt the same way of course it's called the grass is always greener syndrome of course we all know this uh, blah 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 Oh, okay, interesting. So he's saying that the grass is always greener syndrome can make you more creative and innovative. And actually the world wouldn't be creative and innovative if we didn't dream for a better world. We should learn to uh, control this desire and use it in positive ways. Yeah, like creation. That's interesting. I like that. See, that's a really good takeaway. People just rip on the grass, on the green on the other side. And they say, be present and don't have so many desires and like always want, want, want. But those desires are what help people change the world. Like, we wouldn't live in a world we live in today if people didn't have desires to live in a better world, and I'm happy for that. I don't want to be, I wouldn't want to still be in some schmutz in, in, you know, the shtetls in medieval times. That'd be horrible. But ignorance is bliss as well. People look back at how we live today and think, what? No way. Like, I'm sitting beside a brick wall. It's like, that's like, we look at castles when we think, how do people live in a castle? But I'm sitting next to a brick wall. Same with, like, this wall with drywall in front of me. People look at drywall and be like, how do people live in a building with drywall? We should learn to control his desire and yeah, use it in a positive way. One example of the grass is always greener syndrome we found in the life of Roman emperor, blah, blah, blah. He loves these Roman emperors, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, he moved locations or something and um, yeah, whatever. Do you fear thinking about death? That's the question Robert Green asks. People want the wrong things, so they want to avoid thinking about death. Death is something that scares us because we're the only animals that know it'll happen. Wow, 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 wow. Come on, elephants know death exists, probably. Elephants and dolphins are geniuses. We feel anxious when we think about it, but if... Wait a second, wait a second. I saw a deer roll up. Once I saw a video of a deer that just died of natural causes, it was rolled up sleeping. And you're and you looking at cats that run away to go die in, in a bush the animals know what's happening uh, for sure anyways we feel anxious when we think about death but if we try to ignore it it only makes things worse to make life easier we often stick to what we know and don't try th- new things but if we can accept death it can help us live more fully yes that's absolutely true that is absolutely true you, you live when you're ready to die when you accept that you're gonna die you start to live when you don't accept death you don't start to live. Um, Okay. Oh, now it's saying it won't give me the rest because uh, I need to unlock. I have to buy something to unlock the, the rest. This is despite the... Because it's saying this example can be found in the United States public health system. According to a study conducted by American Psychology Association, many physicians avoid discussing end-of-life planning with their patients. <laughs> I wonder why. Anyways, it doesn't matter. A summary in Review, Chapter 7. In, in, this, in The Laws of Human Nature, Robert Greene explores the psycho, psychological and behavioral traits that govern human behavior. There's a combination of scientific research and historical examples. Greene argues that understanding and mastering these laws can help individuals gain greater control over their lives and relationships with others. Blah, blah, blah. One of the main themes is the idea that people are motivated by desire, for power, and control. Yeah, people are motivated by power and control. He, he really does like that. I see this in my youth all the time. I see this with everyone. I talk to so many people. I can see this hug of war people are always looking for control in their life and it's like it reminds me of just deep deep teachings everything you want we think is freedom i'll say this again you think that when you get what you want you will be free true freedom is letting go of everything you want that is when you are free and, and i really i kind of want to end the podcast on that note because that saying changed my life truly just please live that way Everything you think you want, that is not the road to freedom. The ego will continue to put you in a lack forever to survive. When you let go of what it is you want, you are free. Because now you simply observe the ego freak out. And you just observe. And you let everything move because it's just noise, it's not a signal. Yeah, that's it. So I'll kind of finish this off, but that's something I really want you to know. Self-awareness is important to Robert Greene. Um, understanding your own desires and motivations is key for success. You need to, that, That's the knowing your own bias he talked about earlier. And another key theme of the books: is the idea that relationships are central to human nature. Central. The quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. Okay. He explores the role of deception and manipulation in human interactions and often strategizes for de- avoiding being deceived or manipulated. That's what. And so just, you have to read 48 Laws of Power to understand all the manipulation he talks about. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Simply want to be better understanding yourself and about it. Yeah, it's saying this book's a great resource if you want to understand yourself and others better whatever that was an okay that's okay book now by the way folks welcome aboard this is what I do all the time if people talk about a book to me I just look up the detailed summary it takes 20 minutes and, and boom I feel like I've read the book and I can schmooze it with people and yeah there's no cheating in life like that that's not cheating it's still information I'm taking in I'm just sped up I've life hacked I've, I've sped up time anyways hope you enjoyed again let go uh, you are free when you let go of what you want, put simply. And it's easier said than done. It's not a Hallmark card. That's, that's, that's real. That's real philosophy. Uh, and, and just be aware of your bias. I think that's one thing I took away from this summary is be aware of your bias and notice you can you can see little things. If you, once you learn body language, you can tell what state someone's in and from there you can make better decisions on the state they're in, um, so, you know, so you don't get carried away in someone's anger or happiness. And looking far in the future so that these current emotions don't derail your future. That's kind of what he talks about as well. It was interesting, but when someone's trying to trick you they they'll be tense, but they're trying to be chatty. They'll be chatty, but tense. They won't be relaxed. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Anyways, folks, this was a little different. Absolute pleasure for me. I still, I always enjoy this. A little longer of an episode. I hope you're going for a longer drive so you can finish the whole thing. Take care. Shalom aleichem. Shabbat Shalom. Everyone spread the love. Zev Weisdorf signing off. You are now self-improved. Muzzle tough. Bye.